welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I'm here with Robbie Slaughter. He is a workflow and productivity expert. His focus is helping organizations and individuals to become more efficient, more effective, and more satisfied at work. Robbie is a regular contributor in several magazines and has been interviewed by national publications such as the Wall Street Journal. He is the author of five books, including The New Science of Time Management. Robbie, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Sean. So, Robbie, um, you launched a new book about having how to have better conversations about sales. And my first question is, is you know, what inspired you to focus on better conversations about sales? Oh, well, I appreciate you asking. And uh, the book is scheduled to come out later this year. And I think all of us have had this experience with salespeople, with buying and selling that has been negative, where you felt pressured, where you haven't got all the information, where you have a sense of putting people against each other. And very often the relationship between buyers and sellers is adversarial when it really should be aligned. Really, if I have something to offer and you have something you want to purchase, we should figure out if we match it. If we don't, we should find ways to direct each other appropriately. But so often the sales experience is adversarial, it is challenging, and it involves conflict and and even deception. And I think we need to change that to be more effective in the years ahead. I totally agree with you. And I was reading some excerpts in the book. Um, and what I've kind of noticed is, is I, I've talked to some people about marketing and advising them on stuff and they don't like to be, they don't like to sell. And, and I'm like, I'm always asking why I'm like, if they, if someone has already bought your service, why not, e- you know, why not send an email newsletter to them? Why not, you know, act, you know, ask them for, for help, like not for help, but exchange of services, like you offer something. So, you know, what's kind of the, um, the mentality of why, you know, some people are, don't, when they don't feel like they want to be sellers. Well, when we hear the word selling, we often think that selling is about manipulation, right? It's about some kind of effort to get someone to do something they don't want to do, right? To, to trick them or cajole them or pressure them into action. Especially today, when if you want to buy something, there are so many places that you can go as a customer and interact with no human being, pick out what you want and have it delivered to you, whether it's a, you know, a piece of uh, um, cable or a book or even an entire car or a house. You can buy almost anything you want without interacting with a salesperson. And so very often, marketers especially or business owners feel like they want to do good work, but they don't want to do the thing they perceive as pressuring or deceiving others. Interesting. Yeah, and I've kind of seen that too, where, um, and you put it very eloquently in the sense of, of deception um, or the perception of deception. <laughs> um, you know, in your mind, you know, what can companies do to support salespeople to do better? I kind of noticed you, you mentioned some excerpts in the book and, and kind of wanted your, your, your um, basically hear from the horse's mouth <laughs> kind of thing. Well, I think the first thing that an organization can do is really come up with a a clear definition of what is the value that you offer to customers and how do you communicate that value honestly and in accordance with your beliefs as an organization. So if you sell widgets or you sell services or whatever it is that you produce, really work to understand what is the value to our customer to what we have to offer and how do we want to teach customers about that value? How do we communicate and embrace our own perspectives, our own philosophy appropriately when talking about it? 
And although that sounds kind of abstract and sort of obvious, it's not something most organizations do, especially for new salespeople. They say, here's some leads and maybe here's a script and, and go out and sell without really saying, hey, this is what we care about. This is what we're good at. This is what we're not good at. Let's focus on our, on our niche. I like that. And my next question is, is um, the interpersonal imbalances. If you want to kind of talk a little bit more about that, but also talk more in the sense of what are willful interpersonal imbalances and, and can that create um, value for both sides? Well, let's start at the end of the statement. You know, what does it mean to be imbalanced? And in any relationship, there's a sense of, of equity that may occur, right? If you were interacting with somebody, the question is, what is the balance? What is the equity between the two people? And often that is portrayed as information. If I have some information that I have that you don't have, and I give it to you, that creates balance. If I withhold the information, that creates imbalance. So a very simple example is pricing. If I know how much my product can be priced, and you ask me, well, I might not tell you, oh, well, this is the range of the prices. I might just tell you, oh, there's some, there's some options out there depending on what your choices are. And if I don't give you the price right away, well, then I know I, maybe I can charge you more or maybe I have to charge you less. And that is an imbalance. And those imbalances are often not just the information about the product or service that's occurring, but about the personal relationship. You know, Sean, if you and I have been friends for a long time and we're offering a new service and I call you up and say, hey, Sean, we've been friends for a long time. Would you help me out? Would you consider checking out this service? Well, then what I'm doing is taking our relationship, our friendship, and I'm putting pressure on it as an interpersonal imbalance. And I'm doing it on purpose, which means it's willful. And oftentimes, this is how we conduct sales, right? We think, hey, what do I know? What do I have that the other person doesn't have? How can I use that maybe in our relationship to get me something that I want to be able to push things over the top? And that's one of the things that so many people, when they're exposed to sales, whether they're sellers or their customers, are afraid of, even if they can't put it into words. I really like that. And I love your um, your trite answers. They're very exact, where you don't you don't you don't beat around the bush with this kind of stuff. Well, and I've so been thinking about it for a long time, and that's part of the reason that this book I think is important and valuable for for readers is that if we tell the truth about sales, then maybe we can find a way to be more effective as salespeople instead of sort of hiding behind all these techniques and tactics that folks feel like could be deceptive or concerned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Opening up the authenticity of actually how do, how do you exchange information? How do you exchange a service or product um, authentically and honestly uh, to build that trust? Um, you know, no more grilling questions here, but what's, um, you know, this is part of the background, offline background storytelling. You know, if you want to kind of give some examples of, you know, interpersonal imbalances, anything that you want to talk about and kind of relaying back to your book, um, this is um, this is the floor for you to, to explain that to the listeners. Yeah. So I think I would challenge people to think about all of the experiences they've had with salespeople and how information in those exchanges gets revealed over time. So a great question you might ask someone is, oh, how long have you been doing this? Now, the answer the salesperson wants to give is they want to show some degree of experience because if they've been doing this for years and years, well, then you as a customer have more confidence in them. So are they going to say, oh, yeah, I've been doing this for years. What if they just started last week? Maybe they're going to say, well, our company has been in business for, for 10 years. Is that really the answer that someone wants? And so that's a great example of a very simple question that we, we kind of have all the time that people don't always answer in the most honest way. Another example might be, uh, does your product have this feature? And if you don't know, 
the right answer is to say, I don't know. People will often say, absolutely, our product has that feature, or I'm definitely sure it is. I've got to check and get back to you with some details about how it works, but I know we have all the standard features in the industry. And really, the only question that, the only answer that's, that's truly honest is to say yes or no or I don't know. But very often, the sales relationship, we, we want to give people the answer they want to hear. And you experience this all the time as a consumer. We see it happen every single day. And you start to pay attention to it, you realize these are these willful interpersonal imbalances that are designed to get you to act in some way. And all we want is there to be true balance and a true relationship with the person you're buying from or selling to. I, this actually made me think of a story um, where I think I was encountering, it wasn't even a salesperson, but it was a new person. Um, oh, what was it? They were, it was a customer, their customer experience. So they were customer success. And he apologized because he's like, this is my first week on the job. I wouldn't have ever known that if he said something like that. Mm-hmm. But it made me truly remember that person and appreciate them more of kind of going above and beyond, of showing their vulnerability to things, saying, hey, I don't know everything, but let me get back to you with an answer with that. And it's it's building that trust. And I feel like everybody kind of like, not everybody, but some people just spit out an answer. Like it's an automatic robot spit out answer, like, insert an- or insert question, spit out answer. This is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And there's no algorithm around it. There is just, you know, how can I help this person, you know, lead them along the way? So I appreciate that. You, you, you mentioning that Robbie of just kind of that people don't answer in the most honest way and they should, you right. know, they should be upfront. Yeah. And the irony from your story is that the, uh, the individual gave you an answer, which he might, or many people might think would be a bad answer. Oh, I, I'm brand new here. But for you, that actually gave you comfort because, oh, he's telling you the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as if he that he might have just started soon. The company had been around for a while. They had experience. But the point was he was telling you, if you're like, okay, this is a guy that I can talk to because he's being honest with me. It also uh, stems over into um, job interviews. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, here's the answer to this, rather than showing vulnerabilities and saying, I might not be the best at this but I'm willing to learn and put the efforts in, but here are also my strengths to help support that. Right. And the job interview is a sales conversation. I talk to job seekers all the time and I remind them that when you are looking for work, you now have a job as a full-time salesperson and the product is you. And most Mm -hmm. people bristle at that comment because they are not salespeople. They don't think of themselves as having to sell, but what you're doing in an interview is you are selling yourself as the best option based on your knowledge of the position and what you can do. And even if you get the job, you still need to sell every day. You need to talk to people about what it is that you think would be best for the organization, how you want to solve problems, what your approach is, and what you have to offer. So there's a constant sales conversation happening. But sales has such a bad reputation that people really shy away from using those words or thinking about their role in that way. Why do you think people have kind of that? It's almost like um, it's not a it's not a. Um... I told, I'm totally horrified of sales, but it, it almost kind of you almost see like a look of disgust, or they 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 swallow really hard, or they take a moment to pause. You know, you know, with negative experiences being more so prevalent in the sense of in your mind rather than positive ones. How can um, people um, see see the advantages of abundance in the sense of how can I do something better rather than saying? you know, what their experience is saying, I, I could sell better than that versus, well, I don't want to be a salesperson because 
I experienced this bad thing and I just don't want to be, I just don't want to be related to that. Yeah. I mean, to answer your first question, I think the reason that we have these perceptions comes from the long history of sales and uh, sales has been, been around really since the beginning of commerce, but especially in the last century, century and a half, so many of the people who have been involved in sales have been involved in techniques that involve psychological trickery or saying negative things. In fact, a big part of the experience we have of sales comes out of the quack medicine movement at the end of the 19th century. People were selling all kinds of elixirs and potions, which really had no effect whatsoever, but they had to convince people they were valuable. And so this is sort of the beginning of the idea that the act of selling itself is more important than the efficacy of the product. And obviously that's changed. We have more uh, regulation, we have more social proof for products and services, but that really is sort of the beginning of our modern understanding of sales being a fundamentally deceptive act. And then from there, people have personal experiences and they want to stay away from that. I, I even joke in my book, you know, nobody says I want to be a salesperson when I grow up, right? That's not even in the top 10 most desired professions by children. Because we think so often that sales is about conjoling and convincing and pressuring, when really it's just about saying, this is what I have to offer. Does it make sense for you to move forward? And if not, how can I help you find the right solution for the problem you have? Do you think those tricks that, you know, people kind of, it's almost like magic tricks mm -hmm. in the sense of let, let, me, let me, you know, show you something and deceive you. Wouldn't it be better to kind of, you know, take a step back thinking like, let's not be a, you know, part of a, a magician, but me more of like a psychologist of understanding, you know, probably the reasons why people do certain things and certain patterns and more so of like the mindset of people and their, and their, and their mental, you know, differentiating experiences. Like, why not try to go that route? Well, you know, even that route um, does have some challenges. And if you look more on the marketing side, so very often marketing is automated sales and they're very old techniques like the buy one, get one offer, right? Or the limited time offer, right? These are all mechanisms that marketers use to create pressure in the mind of the customer to do something. And so if you have a buy one, get one deal, well, then the customer thinks to themselves, oh, I'm getting two for the price of one. That's a great deal. Of course, the marketer could just create a price that's half as much. Likewise, limited time offer. Well, limited time offers happen all the time. Really, the supply is not actually that limited, but we do that in order to create pressure. And so, yes, even some sense of psychology is good, but I think empathy for the customer is, is really the psychological phenomenon that we should focus on. What are the problems someone's experiencing? Do I understand them? And then what, what I have to offer is going to help address those problems. And can I explain that to the customer rather than pressure them into making a choice. I love that. I think we just should end on that where the empathy should be the focus. So, you know, Robbie, you know, enough about, you know, sales techniques and all that kind of stuff. And this is more about you know, this part of the episode is about you. You know, why do you why do you do what you do? I know you you write a bunch of books, you're part of a seller work, you 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 run that with productivity and, and improvements. You know, what is the, like the first thing when you wake up in the morning, you, this is what you get inspired by. This is what you're passionate about. I'm really fascinated by our ability to be more effective, more productive, more efficient by making smart choices. And this is something which applies to just about every aspect of life. We've all had the experience beating our head against the wall, trying to solve a problem, spending hours and hours on it, and then someone comes by and presses the right button or gives us the right clue, and then boom, we have the answer. And I think that most of those challenges come 
not just from technical issues, but from interpersonal dynamics about how we are willing to ask for help, how we characterize and communicate about the problems we have, even the perception we have towards work itself. And so I, I think that most of the way that we can help each other is to get better at being earnest and being clear with our interactions. And I think that applies just across the spectrum. And I see it over and over again in all different kinds of fields. And when I write, when I speak to groups, when I do direct consulting, that's really what I'm getting back to. How do we find ways to make smarter, better choices that get us where we want to go without the friction of interpersonal dynamics that create stress or communication problems or just not understanding how to address what's in front of us? I really like that. You know, what do you do as for like a hobby? Um, and, and what do you do for health to help you kind of recharge and um, be your best self? Yeah, I like to read. I like to, you know, watch movies and relax, listen to music like most people do. I think the important thing is to really be clear in your life about when you're working versus when you're not working. And uh, too many of us kind of blend the two together where we sort of run from working to relaxing back and forth. And so what I try to do is to say, hey, it's the end of the workday or I'm on vacation. I'm really going to try to disconnect mentally from what I have to do. And likewise, when I'm working, I try to put aside you know, my hobbies or my interests and try to put them aside. And I think that separation uh, and that transition can be really healthy. And for my health, you know, I try to keep active. I try to get up and walk around. I try to go to the gym. I try to do things that create physical activity to separate that space. And to me, that's part of that recreation. I want it not to be a job to be healthy, but something that I can enjoy doing outside of work. Well, Robbie, it was a pleasure for you to be on this episode talking about um, misconception of sales and having better conversations and being clear and empathetic. I feel like that's the, the, the premise of this whole episode, as well as, you know, why you do what you do and, and being more effective and efficient with be, with better processes. And I, I love an example where you're like, you could be tooling around with this machine and then somebody comes in, flips the switch and you're like, okay, done. This fixed it. Um, I love that. I love that analogy. And thank you for your talking about, you know, disconnecting mentally and, and, and making sure that you, you have separate parts of your life, but they all feed into one, but they're not bleeding into one another. And I appreciate you, your time on this episode. So thank you. My pleasure. And to all the Converge Coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap.